Howdy gang, back country and barbells, Joe Schmack, Jeremy Day, um, train, hunt, live, all that good stuff. If you enjoy what you're doing, let us know, review the show, all those goodies, and um, tell your hunting buddies or even your training partners. I'm sure there's a tidbit there, and if we're not hitting the mark, guys, please, uh, you can also let us know. Uh, there's a fun side to this journey where you get to um, interact with folks and, and help people, and that's pretty cool. Um, and then there's a, a cool side where maybe you can share some experiences that you're coming across. And uh, today we're going to take a little bit of time and dive into, uh, I just came across a cool article um, in Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. And uh, I know it's a spot that you've spent a lot of time in. But um, before we get into that, um, just want to catch up on uh, what's going on in, in our lives, our weeks. And um, Jeremy, the uh, DuPont Spikes, bro. Are starting. To, How are they doing? Are start, are they, are, is the season over? Now we got two more weeks. Two more games. Our boys it. are starting to play. Uh, we were down. We were down our best offensive player this week, and um, man, we had about as dominant a four-two win as you can have in a soccer match. We should have scored twelve goals. Our boys are. Uh, our boys are picking it up. I, I've never seen so many balls dribble across the goal. And kind of nick the post as our guys did. We're just got to teach them. How to, <laughs> we got we got to teach them how to finish um, and attack the post. But uh, we're getting there, man. It's a it's a fun thing. It's coaching youth sports, man. I got to I got to tell you, I was thinking. I love it. Yeah, I, well, yeah. I was thinking about it today. I was thinking about it yesterday as my wife just kind of looked at me because I actually started holding a Friday practice now. And what I do on Friday practice is um, I kind of just invite the parents to bring the siblings and I just play little pickup games. It's not really structured, but I'll just end up playing like, um, however many kids show up, you know, I'll play like little five to seven minute games. And then in between the games, I'll give them all a little tip to work on. And, um, it's fun, but it's fun being around them. It's fun watching them do their thing. And, um, uh, I just gotta say, you know, I've put a lot of like, you know, when I was a, when I was coming up as a coach, you know, you want to do all these big things and, um, coach big teams and go to like big championships and you know whether it was football or weightlifting or crossfit it was like always you know these these big uh these big ambitions but go big or go home right well that's true yeah but you know as you I, th I thought yeah you know i'll coach kids sports with my kids and i always reluctantly did it um you know and i was like okay well i'll hang out with my own and you know i'm not going to sacrifice not being around my kids to coach others and things like that but it was a, oh i won't lie to you it was a i always thought it was a step back or like a half-hearted pursuit because uh, i wanted to do other things but man the more i do it and the more you watch kids grow it, it's such an opportunity to grow as a, a person an individual and sort out how to communicate and get folks to, to execute it's, it's almost to the point now where if i talk to a coach and and i find out they don't have youth experience I, I think there's a chink in their armor. I really do. I, th I think everybody should do it who has any ambitions to coach at all. You should, you should get youth sports in there because it's, it, it's, a, it's a challenge, a good one too. Well, it's a challenge, and plus it's part of the feeder program, right? To come up into the higher ranks, and yeah. once you get into high school and all that, so you gotta have these kids gotta have good coaches throughout. Yeah, it's, the system lacks lots of good coaches. Well, you know, it's a lot of volunteer stuff, and guys get in there, and they don't know what they're doing. But some people live through their kids and make it not as fun. But um, what age group is the is the 
the spikes. Oh, the spikes. It's Mason's team. They're eight. Um, they're U, It's a U nine team. U uh, nine. Okay. Under nine. It's awesome. But yeah, you're right. I mean, people can people do it for lots of reasons. Um, you know, we talk about a lot about the winning, but we didn't go into it like wanting to win a bunch of games. Like you know, you go into it just wanting to hang out with your kid, and uh, the the winning. <laughs> but I I'll tell you what I did tell my kids that we sat them down said at the beginning of the year i'm like hey what's fun about soccer and uh they're like trying hard and this and that and they name all these things i was like uh yeah don't forget winning is good too you know winning does feel good um so so there there is some of that uh but you know getting them to play hard and play together and you know it's it's hard to get a bunch of eight-year-old chipmunks <laughs> to do anything together right and oh <laughs> yeah they're they all want to flock to the ball. Yeah, well, it, 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 and it's just cool, like, over the course of the season to watch them go from, like, okay, here's your cone. You stand on your cone, and you stand on your cone, and take the inside of your foot and tap it to that guy, right? And you, you start with that, and then all of a sudden, uh, where we're at, you know, we're running. We're running like a cool basket. You know, our warm-up is a basketball weave to the goal, to three guys playing defense, and then when the defense wins, they dribble it up to the next group. And so we have this cool back and forth little, um, you know, basketball weave style transition for our warm up. And I love, I love when my guys do that. And I can always see the coaches in the other corner, kind of looking over their shoulder, like, "What the hell are they doing?" And uh, <laughs> it, it, but it's tough. And I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, like, I guess what you said, like, the, you know, the guys in there not knowing what he's doing and more more dads should be jumping at the opportunity to do it for a lot of reasons. One, you I agree. To, you get to spend time with your kids, but then also like, you know, at this point in your life where if you're not happy with the place that society's taking, you know, things, or you know, a bunch of people complaining and get on social media, you know, that could be your that could be your forty five minutes with a group of kids that week to plant the seed to maybe push things in a direction you'd want it to go. You know what I mean? So um, this yeah, whole, absolutely. you know, complaining is not a strategy. So if you don't like what's going on with America's youth, well, get out there and coach a team. And, you know, do your best with it. You know what I mean? And figure it out as, we, we're, figure it out as you go. But it's uh, it's an awesome thing to do. And I know you do a bunch of it, right? Yeah, Titus had a game, and you do some basketball stuff over there at St. Nick's, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that basketball season starts next week on the 1st. So, and I've been coaching, I mean, I've coached competitive travel leagues with my older son and, um, uh, now with these, the St. Nick's group, a lot of times, you know, you get two or three that had never played basketball before and it's fun watching the progression throughout the year. And even with the soccer kids, I didn't, I don't, I didn't coach soccer, Titus's soccer team this year because he's got a phenomenal coach he's been on that team for a couple of years, but it's this year, you know, where it all clicked because it's probably would be a U8 team. Sure. Yeah, but, he's um, a year younger. I mean, because when Mason was uh, in first grade, he was in kindergarten. I believe. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Yep, and he's in second grade. So right now it's first and second graders. Gotcha. Is his team, how they do it with the league up here. And so, uh, but the progression, like this last game yesterday, it's just amazing. Titus took, I don't know, eight or nine shots, made one goal. Fired but up. the fact that he, you know, they're working together as a team and dribbling in there, you know, doing the triangle thing, keeping it, you know, keeping distance and then taking the shots. It's, it's so fun, man. 
it's it, <laughs> it's cool when they start to get it because you know uh, Charlie's on a little squad, you know, and it's four girls out at a time on this little field, and they just clump around. And even at the beginning of our season, I don't know how your leagues run, but now Mason's U nine team is six kids on the field with a goalie. Goals are a little bit bigger, fields a little bit bigger, and it's cool when they figure out that the whole space thing. I don't, yeah, yeah. I don't need to run to the ball. I need to run the space. And there's just a, <laughs> there's a couple cool moments, you know, as the season's progressed where the kids start to figure that out, where they're kicking it to an area and they're running around. You get some good runs. And um, it's fun, man. Uh, it's cool to watch kids figure it out. It's cool to be part of, you know, even figuring it out. Like I had, a, I had an issue with a kid yesterday. He's been bugging me all year to play. He wants to play this forward striker position. And, He's a good little he's a good little player, but he, you know I kind of challenge him a bit. So I'm like, yeah, you can do it. So when we started the game, I started him, but I started him back on defense, and I could tell he was pouting a little bit. And I pulled him over. I'm like, what's your, hey man, what's up with you? And he goes, you said you said you said I was going to be able to play offense today. I said, yeah, you will be if you do what I want you to do on defense. I'll bump you up. And he kind of looked at me funny. He goes, what? Okay, <laughs> and, he, and he, he made a couple good offense. He made a couple good defensive plays, and he did his job because this kid's a bit of a. I have a position on my feet on my team. I call the maniac, and and this kid is like the namesake personified. This kid's just a ball of energy. He's really good. He can be a little selfish at times, and he puts his head down, and just dribbles all over the place. So I'm like, I'm like, hey man. Your job on defense is to just keep the ball off our half, and I want you to make a couple passes to other players. And as soon as he made a couple passes to other players, I subbed him out. Then I got him in on offense, and he goes and scores. You know, he goes and scores a goal or two. And I talked to him about it. And and even those little moments where you can coach these guys up, where it's like, hey man, you got to give a little, get a little. You know, it's right. it's fun to do that with boys. It's fun to it's fun to help them on their journey to manhood. And I think youth sports, man, it's a place to do it. I love it. Good. It's a lot of fun. I I agree. Well, um, well, sweet. So even after that, I know you guys were doing some birthday celebrations and some things like that. But um, uh, I know with what we're also going to get into today as uh, we progress into uh, the topic of the day, uh, this this little section of the country that we're going to talk about, um, kind of um, inspired by Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, did a really cool article. Um, you and your family have done. Uh, a lot of camping out in uh, uh, Hell's Canyon. Yeah, yeah, 20, 20 or twenty one years now that we've been camping there. In and, the, it's a it's the most beautiful place on earth. Yeah, very diverse. Well, and 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 that's what I wanted to get into because as you know, I got this month's um, I got this month's <clears throat> edition of Bugle Bugle Magazine, which is put out by Rocky Mountain Elk, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. Um, uh, there's this cool article called "Name That County," and um, you know the the article starts off with a a pretty a pretty awesome picture with um, some scenic <laughs> green hills in the back, and then up front, I'd imagine that's the Snake River. It's a it's a it's a white it's a <laughs> and and then just jagged red rocks in the front. And I'm like, whoa, that that's here. I mean, it almost looks like something you'd see in like you know we're we're kind of coming through alone, uh, which is a series on. Um, history channel it almost looks like something you'd see in patagonia but um and then it, it's got a little caption because you know the deepest gorge in america plunges almost eight thousand feet divides two states and is home to home to elk mule deer bighorn bighorn sheep and mountain goats and then humans have been there for fifteen thousand years 
can you guess where it is? And and I'm like, man, that's a pretty cool spot. And as I turn the page, I'm like, Hell's Canyon. Oh, that's right by us. Jeremy's mentioned that spot. So um, <laughs> I thought it'd be cool to just kind of trim through this article and talk about some of the species, um, some of the, the, the cool historical spots there, and then maybe even dive into a little bit of what Rocky Mountain Elk's been there. But um, I'll start with a little personal thing, because I know you've been there. Um, as, you, as you're camping, uh, when you do this for 20 years. When you did the camping, was that just kind of like a family reunion get-together camping, or were you, were you hunting, or um, is this just a little spot that was a, was a grab-all for you guys because it was in close proximity to where you grew up? Well, no, because it was it, it was always about a six or an eight mile, mile or six to eight hour drive from where we lived in Portland. But Michelle's father found, you know, went down there one year and he's like, we got to go camping here. So we went there the next year. I think my son Joey was might have been one years old, might have been nine months old. And uh, we went down. There's a little park there on the Hell's Canyon dam side that's um, also by the Oxbow. And it's uh, called the Copperfield State Park. Copperfield Park. It's not the state park. It's owned by Bond of uh, Idaho Power. Um, but we just started camping there. We usually go every June, right around my birthday time, right when the kids got out of school. And we'd go down there. And Mainly what we did as the family, because the family was so young, is they had this huge field out there so the kids could just run free and have a good time. And then we would also do a lot of fishing. So um, the trout would be coming up this creek that's right there and um, kind of spawn their way up. And it was just phenomenal fishing. And then the bass fishing is huge. So it was more of just kind of a nine, ten days of relaxation and um, just let the kids run free and camp out on this. Uh, it's kind of just a, a park, you know. So they had showers and all that stuff. So, um, But, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And then we would um, – the family would go up and in the springtime they have a great spring bear hunt and uh we go up there and do a bunch of spring bear hunting well stick on the fishing really quick because you know you mentioned some trout but even this article says you know talk about diversity in this place there's there's big old sturgeon in there there's um there's uh there's you know steelhead there's there's spawning fish and all kinds of stuff like that so that snake river is a is a pretty one my my only experience with the snake river is um, when we were coming out of the back end of Missoula, um, we decided my, uh, I family live in Stevensville, Montana, and you can drive in the top end and come in through, uh, Missoula to get to Stevensville. But as you drive through the Bitterroot Valley, when we left, we were driving South towards, um, Las Vegas. Imagine that, uh, Las Vegas via Missoula, uh, on a, <laughs> on a bit of a road trip. You know, we were just, we drove from Texas to Missoula and then to Las Vegas and back through to Texas, um, uh, San Antonio to be exact. But um, we drove through the back end of the Bitterroot Valley, the southern end, which is a, an interesting trip. And um, heading down to Vegas, we 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 paralleled the Snake River for a, a long time. And it it's really pretty. And I had to tell Eliza, we got to stop. I got to pull the fly rod out and do a couple things and um, pull the rainbow out of there. And um, it was great. Uh, but the, the fishing, uh, when you go, when you go trout fishing there, um, you know, based off this picture we're seeing and what they're talking about, the, the diversity, the diversity and what you can get after, um, has got to be a good time. Uh, 
when you're out there camping with your family and 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 fishing and and pulling some things out uh any specific any specific little memories or your son's first fish was it was it caught in the snake river or anything like that um no i don't think his first well yeah i think maybe it was my his first biggest fish ever my oldest joey he was gosh he was six i think six or seven and we're out there because we're lower fishing right so we're casting and retrieving and he goes he goes dang it and i go what son i look over and he goes i got a snag and i go that's no snag because i could see his tip of his pole is just bouncing and all of a sudden this fish comes out and uh he's he's trying to fight it and he looks at me and he goes dad could you rule it in for me i, I can't do it anymore my knees are shaking too much <laughs> so i finally it takes about 10 15 minutes to get this fish in and it ended up being a nice uh you know i was considered landlocked steelhead at this point but it was about 23 inches six and a half seven and a half pounds and it was a big fish and man that my son joey was so proud he come walking up out of there fish is about as big as he is he's trying to carry it up to go show grandpa and everybody and yeah, that was awesome. It's just so funny because he goes, I can't reel anymore. My knees are knocking. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so and, I got a, a lot of great memories of the kids down there. And you would um you mentioned that when you'd camp you'd be you'd be up at a particular dam area. Yeah, so the well, there's the Oxbow Dam and then it you know, then there and then it dumps into the Hills Canyon Dam section. So the Oxbow Dam is like two or three minutes away you could see it from where we're camping and that's where all the sturgeon and stuff would hang out if i don't i don't think too many people would fish for sturgeon in the dam areas because they usually would do it on the upper snake or the Mm. lower portion of the snake because there's three dams up there yeah i wonder how i wonder how the fishing has been impacted by by dams like that I'm always interested in how that goes because even even in our area, you know, you have you have hatcheries and things. They're always trying to put these these band aids to help with the salmon spawns and and whatnot. And then I just I just wonder if I just wonder um, how impactful the dams have been and and what that was fishing like. You know, this article mentions how long humans have been there, and and it kind of kind of tips on you know um different different native american groups thriving back there in the day and i just do you ever wonder what it would have been like to be in areas like the snake river or even where we live where you have all these different tributaries uh tributaries feeding into the sound what those spots would have been like on those salmon runs or steelhead runs uh before before these dams had been put in oh yeah it was probably huge they were probably catching fish left and right, but most of the area where the people lived were further downstream below the Hell's Canyon Dam, and then there's no dams, I think, until you get to the Columbia portion. Yeah. I just, you know, it almost had to have been like a grocery store. You know, yeah. Yeah. You got millions of salmon. Well, right now, the Hell's Canyon Dam is so tall that they the fish will come and bank up in there, and apparently they'll go down there with, like, nets and or something i can't remember what they were saying and they'll pick the fish up and then move them up up above um the upper dam and then drop them in at the snake up there oh they'll help them yeah because there's no fish ladders on those three dams because they're so they could you mean that snake river is pretty steep yeah well that's what the other thing fast i mean it almost would seem 
the the way the article describes and again we'll we'll get into it at a glance much of the country appears uninhabitable for anything without fins uh viewed from the river jagged rock and um and, and spears just jut skyward um at the water's edge uh but this indomitable ruggedness has been hell's canyon's greatest asset in staving off development and maintaining its largely untouched beauty so it's weird how the article kind of just talks about you know it looks uninhabitable at certain spots because it's just steep and jagged um, around this river but because of that that's why it's kind of been untouched can you and you guys you know i know you're out there camping and stuff but uh can you talk a little bit about just how rugged the terrain is and just how how tough it is because uh sounds to me like it's a spot that um you know there's a reason it's not been overly developed it it seems like it's it's pretty rough yeah, it's steep and nasty. The The road system ends at Hills Canyon Dam, and below that, the only way to do it is boat or raft. I mean, that's where a lot of people jump in and raft down or their jet sleds or whatever. I think the born and raised guys last year on their bear hunt, spring bear hunt, they floated down that lower section. Oh, very cool. And I think it bumps you out at somewhere near Lewiston or before Lewiston. I've never done that float trip, so... I, but I've hiked down that way a little bit, and it is just it's 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 really steep and gnarly. Yeah, and more it's very rugged. I mean, and when you, we would kayak up to the Oxbow Dam, so you would jump in on the other side, then you can kayak up, and then you fish on the either side, and then once you get up to the little, there's like two parts of the dam, and then the upper part is um, kind of just the dam, and then there's another spot where they have this lower. I don't know what they call it, but this they've kind of put the uh, water underneath the mountain and then it comes out and then it shoots out into the propellers to create the energy. Okay. So the dam part, you can get up there and the fishing is phenomenal because they just let this little trickle out. So it's like a a river up there and you catch trout left and right. But on the kayak up, we would, we always see bear coming down feeding on the carp because the carp are mating that time of the season and they kind of do it up against the ledge of the water in the, in the bank and these bears will just come down. And I mean, we've seen, gosh, one year, I think we've seen eight or 10 bears. Very cool. And you, you were telling me you had a, you had a bit of your own bear. I mean, you had a bit of your own bear run (laughs) in in Hell's Canyon. Yeah, we did. One year, my, uh, this is my first backpacking, hunting backpack trip. And it was a very adventurous one. So it's in the springtime, and we picked this one ridge system to take. And so we drove up there, and we get two-thirds of the way up, and the snow is still deep. On the north-facing slopes, it was three to eight feet deep still. But on the um, south-facing slopes, it was all melted away. So the bears would go on the south side to eat and come over. So anyway, we're... We get to. We wanted to drive another mile or two, but we couldn't, so we had to pull off, park, get all of our gear, and then I looked like a freaking hobo, man. It was pretty funny because my first trip, so what I did, you know, <laughs> I packed a, I got my pack board, I got my day pack, and then I got my sleeping bag, and then I got another bag. So I kind of just put all this stuff. So if you can envision a guy with about. I don't know. It looked like a two foot by three foot space on my back, right? And pans and pots hanging all over. I looked like, yeah, I looked like a hobo. It was pretty funny. My brother-in-law still makes fun of me for that one. 
Well, he didn't give you any, he didn't give you any heads up on what to bring and what you need and and what the you kind of just went off of huh. Let me let me let me. I'll I'll put as much as I can on my back from what what I like to camp with. Yeah, exactly. Well, and it was 2008, so everything you know everything went to crap at that time. So I didn't have a lot of money to go invest in new. And I was in construction, so I didn't have a lot of money to go invest in a new backpack and everything else. So I just used what I had. And I was younger. I was, you know, 35. So I really didn't care about weight and all that other stuff. I mean, I even took in a big old freaking three or no, yeah, three or four pound thing of stew meat. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> stew. And he's like, "What did you bring?" I was like, "Man, I brought. We're eating good up here." Yeah, I need. To, I need so anyway, I need. we. You need, yeah, exactly. So we're hiking up the road, and um, we're in snow, and then we're out of snow, and then we're in snow, and then it got too dark, so we we slept on the road there, the main road, and um, it was nice because it was pretty warm on the asphalt. And then we woke up the next morning and started our hunt. And so I was archery hunting, and my brother-in-law, um, he was rifle hunting. He brought his two seventy. Um, Lee is his name. So Lee brought his two seventy, and then I brought my bow and. We're, we finally got on the ridge system. We were hiking in, and there was one spot where we seen where a bear had gone from the mud over into the snow because you see, could see their paw prints on the on the snow. And then, but we still had like I think two miles to go to get to our camp area that we our designated camp area main or you know base camp. We kept going, and just before camp, about two hundred yards was another thing of footprints in the snow heading from that south to the north so we went and set up camp and got that all done and we're up at this tall ridge point i mean it was a perfect camp we're basically we're surrounded by snow it was pretty wild but it was it was really warm it was 90 degrees during the day and then it would get you know in the 20s at night 30s so anyway we thought oh crap you know it's kind of mid-morning let's go see if we can't track that bear so lee is tracking the bear and he's following and i drop down 50 60 yards below him and we're paralleling and and he's like bub i i i lost the track so i come up and we're looking and then somehow i don't know how but lee ended up drop dropping down and then i kept going and i found finally found the track and i go and we're hunting in snow i mean it's it's deep snow but we're still kind of in the vicinity where he is and then i look i see this movement and i look up and there's this bear taking a crap (laughs) and i was like holy smokes i go the bear so you know i get into hunting mode and then you're trying to walk on snow and then he beds down against a tree and you know because at the base of the trees like the snow's melted around the base of the tree but it's still kind of got some snow there so i'm sure he's just sleeping there because it was nice and cool so he sleeps up against this tree and i was like oh man i'm in so i'm I'm sitting here walking and crunch crunch and then you you know sink down about a foot and then i had to close so i seen him at 60 yards so i wanted to get within 30 i had got up to 30 but the shot was kind of crappy and all of a sudden the bear just stood up turned around and like squared up to me with his excuse me he kind of had if you can envision this he was sitting down but his paw his front arms were like straight you know like his posture was he's pointing his chest at me sure but then i was behind a tree branch and so i didn't have a shot but so i leaned back 
and um, 30 yards, and I leaned back as far as I could, and I let the arrow go. The string hits my arm, slices my arm wide open, hits below the bear, and he's just still staring at me. Mm. So I took two steps back, knocked another arrow, let it um, fling, and then it went right through his chest, and um, he yells. He takes off running downhill, so we gave it at about – think we gave it almost two hours because i knew it was a long shot he bolted out of there so lee and i you know we went and hiked down to the creek got some water for the for the day and night came back up just kind of hung out and then we started tracking him and it was pretty easy for a while because you know it's snow mud snow mud and then all of a sudden we lost his track and we got about 300 yards so we put all of our stuff down and then we we're kind of just doing a circle, you know, just looking for the track. So Lee kind of went to the right, I went to the left and we're doing these circles trying to find if we can track them. And, uh, again, I see this movement, but it's, so the Hills Canyon is extremely steep and I get like 20 yards and I see this movement in the tree and this bear is eye level with me in the tree. He's about 15, 20 feet in the tree and he's, you know, got his arms wrapped around it and there's a huge ponderosa pine and he looks at me. He just starts growling and yelling and I was like, give me my bow, give me my bow. <laughs> and then I was like, then that thing, I mean, he went so far up in the tree. I was like, you know, you get caught in the moments. I was like, give me your effing gun, give me your effing gun. And this thing is, I mean, he is flying up the tree and then he gets up, oh gosh, Joe, he's probably 60, 70 feet up there. And then he just looks at me and he kind of, his arms are over a branch, if you can envision this, and his head. And he's just like, it looked like he expired. And so I, I shot once and he's, his head kind of moved. And then I shot again and his head fell back. And then he did this swan dive out of this tree. And it was pretty amazing because he dropped I don't know, 70, 80 feet because on the other side of the hill. Now, is this the bear and, that's um, mounted in your living room? No, no, this is a different one. This one ended up being a beautiful cinnamon black bear. Just, he, he's a, he, he was a huge boar. But he hits the ground, thud. Okay, he's, he's dead now, so we walk over there. And But I was so full of adrenaline because I – I was just going to go right underneath him. It was like I was going to – he could have jumped out of that tree and just jumped on my back. I mean, mm. it was so close, and it was so intense. And then we, you know, we did our thing. We skinned him, caped him, uh, put him in quarter bags, got our pack boards all loaded, and then we went and buried it in the snow because it was so um, – we buried the hide in the snow, and then the meat we just kind of – dug down and shoved it down in there so it wouldn't get all soaking wet. Sure. And then, because at that point it was it was almost dark. So we went up and slept the night and then went in for a morning hunt. And then um, then the pack out, man, it was brutal. So we went on the backside of the mountain towards the creek versus the Snake River side just because we wanted to get back to the truck. And so Lee's GPS said, oh, yeah, there's a, trail down at the bottom of this it was an old skid road is what it was so we get down to the skid road and we hike all the way down to the creek and this creek is just roaring there is no way in the hell we're going to cross it there so then we had to bear crawl out of the bottom of this thing 
and it was brutal, you know, with 80, 90 pounds on your back. And I mean, it took everything. I, we were, I'm, I'm literally, we were literally bear crawling. And then we finally get up and then we, then we're able to kind of get on the old skid road. We found it and then um, took it down and then crossed the log and then made it down into town. But it was, it was pretty adventurous. So when our camp and where the bear had expired, the way the crow flies was only 200 yards. Mm. <laughs> okay. You guys took the long it, way it about. Steep. Oh, man. Well, because if we would have went up and then back, then we would have had to gone. We would end up going like four and a half, five miles back to the truck. The other route was, you know, one mile the way the crow flies. And it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. It was just dipping down into that creek part what killed us. And then, um, but, so we go, my brother-in-law and my other father-in-law, so Joe and Tony were camping down off of that creek further down and they were hunting the lower lands. So we got to them and of course told the story, blah, blah, blah. And then we came back and um, we hiked back in and we go, let's go check out the carcass. That carcass was completely, there was nothing left on it. There was no guts, no nothing. Everything was gone and there was cougar tracks all over the snow around that carcass. Oh, wow. And it was only 200 yards away from our camp. Granted, it was about a thousand foot drop, but. Sure, but I mean, you figure that's the spot they want to be, right? I mean, you were talking about, you know, because, you know, what's a, what's a, what's a cougar want to do? They want to probably attack from above and behind. And when you're talking, (laughs) you're talking about steep, jagged rocks and, and, you know, what a place to pounce on folks. Um, you know, that's got to, I'll be honest with you, man, that's the most nerve wracking thing. I think I'm much more worried about encountering, you know, a big cat around here than I am a bear. Um, to be perfectly honest, uh, Oh yeah, me too. You know, when you come across some of that kind of fresh sign, um, it's, it's a bit nerve wracking, you know, even, even talking with, um, who, do, who were we talking with who relayed a, an interesting story about a cougar uh, attack being um, being befuddled by a tripod? Was that Dennis Dunn? He was telling us about his buddy. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. That, that's, uh, that's interesting stuff, man. Um, so bear, that must have been an interesting thing. You know, bear, bear crawling out of Hell's Canyon, uh, packing out a bear. Um, <laughs> yeah. very cool. It was, dude, it was pretty gnarly. We were pretty pooped after that. And, and we, and on our crawl out, we found a really nice big den too. That was kind of neat, but we weren't in the mood to check it out too intently because we needed to get that bear out of the woods Yeah, and, and uh, back that night. Another species that they talk about quite a bit that, that, that thrives really well in that area. Um, obviously if you're, you're thinking about this habitat being rocky and steep, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's bighorn sheep and sheep and, and, and different goat varieties. Have you, did you come across any of that? Have you done that sort of hunting, um, in this Canyon at all? No, because it's a basically a once in a lifetime draw over there and it's really hard to draw, but we've, I mean, seen hundreds and hundreds of sheep and, and goats and, not hundreds of goats, but hundreds of sheep and, you know, a handful of goats up there. So, yeah, it's it's fun watching them sheep jump All ledge right. to ledge and make their way up. It's pretty stinking impressive. Well, no, I- we ran into, you know, elk, bear, chucker, grouse, um, of course, bighorn, and then mountain goats. And we saw the cougar tracks. And then huge mule deer everywhere so 
Well, yeah, it says, and again, the article uh, talks about, you know, I'm obsessed a little bit right now. Still as a guy, you know, I punched my first tag this year um, with Turkey and still looking to fill my first big game tag. You know, you look at some of these numbers in this spot, it's just that there's a good bit of mule deer. Um, I guess the way they do surveys and, and whatnot, they're, they're estimated count. There's about 7,500 mule deer and, and 11,000 elk in this canyon. So um, what I really want to get to is all your time there. Um, did you spend and have you pulled many elk or, or hunts or is it a, is again, is this a tough draw to get into? Cause it seems like, it seems like it's a great spot to get into. No, it's on my bucket list to do elk hunting. And, um, I, I really want to just hunt the Eagle caps cause during the elk, I, you know, I think, um, they're pretty scarce down that Hell's Canyon draw because it's so stinking hot that time of the year. So they go up to the higher elevations. Mm-hmm. Um, you, I mean, you get your pocket elk here and there, of course, that are kind of resident, but it's, dude, I'm telling you, it is steep and nasty. So if you get an elk down, it's either float and do it that way, and then you hike up, and then you can drag down, or you're driving from the top, and if you go down and have to come up with meat, it's pretty brutal, and you have to do some navigation because there's so many cliffs and it's, it's pretty gnarly, but we've seen, uh, you know, during our bear hunt there, we saw an elk. I was the damnedest thing I'd ever seen in my life. But, you know, like I was saying, it was 90 degrees. And this big old bull, he was like a, he was probably a four by four at the time. But, I mean, huge bases, you know, they're in their velvet. It just started growing. But he was pretty enormous for that time of the year because we were in, in middle May, end of May. But I look over. Or Lee and I look over and there's this elk and he is like literally sprawled out, man. Like his, his front legs were just, I mean, it looked like he was just basking in the sun and he was just so damn hot. It was like, like a, you know, like when you just plop down, like a dog plops down. I was going to say like a puppy. Yeah. They just plop all their legs are all over the place. And we look over and there's this elk. He just looked like this is bullshit. You know, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was pretty amazing. It was pretty cool to see that. Yeah, it, it seems like this part of the country is one of those spots that um, is still pretty rugged wilderness. And despite the fact that there's a few dams running through there, um, you know, and, that, and that's that's a big mark on on the on the river and in the area. But it seems like it's still relatively, you know, this 125 mile stretch is still relatively untouched, and it's almost like one of these spots that we just need to leave alone a little bit. Well, I'm telling you, dude, when you, if you ever get in there, when you're talking about 8,000 feet deep and I think it's only a mile wide from peak to peak and 8,000 feet deep there, and there ain't nobody going in there much. That's why they haven't done roads or systems or anything. Cause you can't really traverse on that at all for a road system. Yeah, I'll read. I'll read one last little spot about this article because there are some people in there, Jeremy. And it goes: a few hardy families still carve an existence from the canyon walls, raising cattle and running outfitting operations. In the wildest sections of the canyon, residents wait on the riverbank every Wednesday morning for a chance to communicate with the outside world via the U.S. Postal Service jet boat. So. <laughs> It's yeah, it, that's the lower that's the lower <laughs> section. They 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 actually have apple orchards. There's all sorts of stuff down there. I mean, it's pretty interesting. You can take a jet sled if you go to the Hell's Canyon Dam. You can 
charter a boat and they'll they'll fly they'll shoot down the um, canyon and kind of give you a lot of the history on the Native Americans and all these cool rock formations that look like a monkey and the snake and they have all these different things that and they have the um, you know the old ancient drawings on the wall and all sorts of stuff <laughs> it's cool that's a cool little jet sled. Well, and that's the other part about it. Like, you know, I guess the other thing that they touch base on, too, you know, despite the, excuse me, um, it's not just guys, you know, modern day humans, you know, trying to do what they can to stay out there. But, uh, you know, they found some, um, they found some artifacts that would trace human, human populations to be in there for 15,000 years or so. So um, it it seems like an amazing spot in the country to, uh, to just, you know, to hunt, camp, check out and um yeah it just you know it's seven hours away you know and uh from where we sit here in 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 um in washington and in the spot for you to have kind of um tinkered in as much as a, as a kiddo um it seems like one of those magical spots that you know i've never i've never heard of and to think that to think that it's deeper than the grand canyon like in the grand canyon you know as we're talking i'm like huh because it's as deep as Gorge. I'm like, well, how deep is the Grand Canyon? Deep that the Grand Canyon only goes to 6,900 feet. So, um, what a what a cool spot, and 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 what a what a cool thing for uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation to kind of highlight. Um, um, and two, it's it's probably a, a real cool conservation story that started in at least in our country in 1975 when when President Ford established the Hell's Canyon National Park Recreation Area, and then even now. Um, you know, since I guess about 1992, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation has partnered um, with all the communities out there to just raise money and keep this place wild. Um, it, it's cool to know that wild places like that still exist in this country, especially, you know, as I drive down I-5 and I see the highway getting expanded, new this going that, you know, new computer this, new that. It, it's just cool to me. That such a wild place still exists, and and to be honest, it's a dang car ride away. So, uh, talk about bucket lists. Um, this article in Bugle Magazine has has got me to um to to, <laughs> to put an extra spot on mine. I got to see this spot, and I, I might I might get my ass down there this summer and check it out. Oh uh, yeah, you should you should take the kids down there. Um, <clears throat> I I am, I've only done the upper thirty or forty miles. I haven't done the lower eighty. Be, just because it's so remote or you can come up, you know, the seven hour drive is coming up through Lewiston, but we always go up to Baker city and then cut over. And that's about it. That's about a nine, 10 hour drive. Huh. <laughs> well, I'm all in on this spot. It seems like uh, between your bear story um, and this article and, and all the different species you encounter. I mean, again, um, everything cool in North America seems to live in this canyon <laughs> <laughs> yeah dude every every huntable species yeah. it's it's i mean and they have turkeys I, I, there, there's everything yeah and, and and um you know what it doesn't have is my boot prints anywhere <laughs> soon, so i soon, need <laughs> i need to i need to work that out so it's on the list um you know and and, and again this is i think what's really cool about a even a group like Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, you know, they do, they do a lot of cool stuff, you know, not only, you know, again, it, this article at the end kind of talks about, you know, $700,000, you know, that they've over the course of many years invested in countless studies and different, different habitat, um, projects and whatnot it's just a it's a cool group and then not only to relay that information but then to just describe it in a way that 
kind of captivates you and gets you curious about checking that place out. So I would suggest anyone, um, you know, I just re-upped every October 24th. I re-upped my Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. Um, and, and because of that, I can get, I get six issues, six issues of Bugle every year. Um, and along with the hunting tips and the stories, you can, um, begin to develop a bit of a, a bit of a relationship with cool spots like this. So um, I, I would suggest everybody uh, check that out too. So go over to, um, we'll put a, I'll put a link in the show notes to how you can subscribe to Bugle and, and join um, RMEF. And uh, I would really suggest you do it, especially if you're an elk hunter. Um, pretty cool, Jeremy, man. I, thanks for, uh, thanks for telling a couple tall tales about crawling, crawling out of the woods with a bear. But um, I'll tell you, yeah, I'll tell you what fun, we need man. to do. We need to, we need to sort out a way where we can go check this thing out together. Uh, maybe with a, maybe with a bow in our hand or a rifle on our back. We'll have to work. Well, that we out. talked about um, archery hunting Oregon next year. It would be a good spot to go in the Eagle Caps. There it is. It might it's happen. A, it's, a, it's a little bit of a hefty hike, but. I, I happen to know some people on the back side of it that have horses, so we might be able to come in in a different area than most. Oh, don't get me started on horses. You know, the one time I rode a horse was in Mexico. Um, me and the wife went down there <laughs> and uh, on a little thing, you know, one of them little resorts, and you get to ride a horse in the water and do all this stuff. I think the the little cow, the little Mexican cowboys were trying to separate me and my wife. I ain't going to lie to you. <laughs> My wife's horse didn't want to do anything but be in the back. It was just a slow trot and little get up. And then the one they put me on, he was a lead horse. He just, I would, I would, I'd be yanking on him to stay in the back. And then he'd want to run to the front. And then every time I go in the back, guess who's talking to my wife? One of these little Mexican cowboys. And uh, <laughs> I caught wind of that. I kept, I tell you what, over the course of this like hour horse ride, I must have gone back and forth the whole length of the party, which was about twenty five folks, like like six times. I learned how to I learned how to scoot and ride a horse, and that was that was a fun day. But I think that they were I think that those guys were trying to trying to do something back Moving there. Moving on the old woman, huh? Yeah, that's right. So uh, we had to work that out. But uh, <laughs> no, that'd be super interesting, man. No, I'm, uh, this article is really really. You know, I know you've mentioned Hell's Canyon before, but it's definitely. Um, it's definitely put that spot on my radar and then you know through through the born and raised guys learning that um Oregon is very military friendly um and and um you know uh we can get in there at a at a at a decent at a decent rate for for an out of state hunt um um I'm super interested in giving it a look so we might have to do that Jeremy we might have to take you up on on doing something a little different sir this year um, yeah, that'd be fun. Well, we got like several spots in Oregon we go to, so but that one's on my bucket list. I'd love to do that one. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, it should be on everybody's bucket list because I can't imagine you. It seems to me one of those spots that when you see in person, it just changes you a bit. I mean, just looking at the pictures um, um, seems like something else. And um, to be honest, it's my it, favorite place on earth. Really, yeah, it looks a little bit more scenic than even the Grand Canyon. The greens and the reds and the different colors and that Snake River. So, um, well, I'm fired up, Jeremy. Um, well, hope hopefully you are too, guys. Um, check it out. Like I said, if you want to read the article that we kind of pulled some information from, it's uh, this month's issue, the November December 2019 issue of Bugle Magazine. Um, look for "Name That Elk Country" by uh, Sam Averett, 
And um, hey, I'll give you the page number, page 17 and 18. Check it out. Um, and Rocky Mountain Elk <laughs> Foundation does know its audience. The articles are short, sweet, informative, and um, they're awesome. They're awesome to read. So uh, check them out. And um, until the next one, guys, uh, train, hunt, and live the best lives you can. And uh, make sure you're telling us the best way we can help you do that. And until the next one, Jeremy Day, I'm looking forward to talking to you. Uh, have a good one, friend. Ditto, my friend. Have a great uh, rest of your weekend, and God bless America, baby. Get it, gang. <laughs>